Atari 8-Bit Game Draft special episode. I've got a lineup of Atari podcasting friends joining me to draft and review a bunch of 8-Bit games. This episode doesn't include any magazine reviews, nor does it cover a particular month of 1981, and the regular format will return in the next episode. I'm Jack Nutting from the Retro Computing Roundtable. I'm Victor Marlin from the 10 Pence Arcade Podcast. I'm Wade Rupkowski from Inversitaski. I'm Kevin Savitz from Antic, the Atari 8-Bit Podcast. And I'm Rob McMullen. This is the Player Missile Podcast, and we're ready for episode 14. Crazily excited to do one of these game draft episodes. Um, the ones they do on the No Quarter podcast are some of my favorite No Quarter episodes, and I thought it would be great to do that for Atari 8-bit games. It took a lot of planning to get this going. You know, there are a lot of time zones to cross, and so I'm thankful for all the guys that were able to coordinate their schedule to meet on a on a Sunday night for some, a Sunday afternoon for me. But we got it all together and recorded, and, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Before we get into the draft, I do want to address some feedback from episode 13. I'll cover more of the feedback in episode 15, the next episode. But I do want to say about episode 13, Missile Command, that you can actually use the trackball in Missile Command. This was pointed out by several people, and has been a constant theme of the feedback this, uh, for this last episode. I guess this would be classified as an Easter egg because it's not in the manual, but if you hit Control-T, you'll get trackball support in the cartridge version of Missile Command. I tried the trackball emulation in Atari 800, and I couldn't get it to work, so I thought, well, you know, it just must not be supported, but I didn't realize you had that Control-T command to get it to work. So there you go. If you do want to use the trackball with the regular cartridge version of Missile Command, you can do that. You don't have to go to the Missile Command Plus, you know, the three-base hacked version of Missile Command. But I'll, and I'll address the rest of the feedback for episode 13 in episode 15. Originally, I had intended this to be like sort of a 1981 wrap-up show. But a lot of stuff have, has, has come up, and I just I haven't had time to work on the November 1981 episode, so I spent the time instead editing this one, and we'll put it here. And hopefully I can get an episode out before I go to Kansas Fest in uh, mid-July, but we'll see. That's my goal anyways, to have an episode out right before Kansas Fest. And then I'll have an episode out after Kansas Fest, which I guess will be the December 81 issue. That'll be kind of the, wrap, the 81 wrap-up where I'll talk about um, you know my experience as an Atari user at Kansas Fest. And like I said in the intro, there's no magazine reviews or anything in this episode. We're going to get right to the game draft. So I'm going to introduce all my friends here. First, with the uh, Atari perspective on the Retro Computing Roundtable, it's Jack Nutting. Hello, everybody. Yeah, so the, the Retro Computing Roundtable, they had too many Apple II people for too long and eventually realized the error of their ways and said, <laughs> please come help us out. We need some knowledge about Atari stuff. And I said, all right. Plus, Paul is a friend of mine from way back, so it was... Very nice thing for me to step in there for my part as well. So anyway, it's been a lot more skewed in the proper Atari direction since I came aboard. <laughs> I <laughs> agree. Ago. <laughs> and I I have picked a theme for uh, my picks today. I'm not going to reveal the theme until the end. We'll see if anybody can if anybody can guess it. So we'll see. All right, we'll see. Next, with the uh, the cosmic alien perspective on arcade games, it's Victor Marlin of the Ten Pence Arcade Podcast. 
Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Victor Marland. Uh, I do the Tenpence Arcade podcast in the UK with my friend Sean Holly. Uh, www.tenpencearcade.co.uk. And uh, yeah, I have a theme also. And uh, I'm not going to reveal it to the end. See if anyone can get it. You won't get it. Believe me, you will not get it. <laughs> With the uh, productivity application perspective on the Ataris, it's Wade Ripkowski of Inverse Itasky. Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, the, uh, for those who don't know, Inverse Itasky is a podcast dedicated to Atari productivity software. And um, basically, I review and feature uh, one productivity piece of software uh, from the era, whether it be word processor, database, spreadsheet, etc. And um, I do as well have a theme, uh, although it might be a simple one. Uh, and it might be easily guessed, but we'll find out. And finally, from the uh, perspective of interviewing every important Atari person you can possibly find, it's Kevin Savitz of uh, Antic. Hello. Uh, yep, I'm Kevin Savitz. Uh, I am one of the people behind Antic, the Atari 8-bit podcast. And I just got off the phone with uh, Catherine Mataga, um, who wrote uh, one of the games that I will be drafting today. No, actually, my... <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my my theme is uh today or is going to be uh, uh edutainment games that teach geography. <laughs> That's sort of going. Which yeah. I just decided when I saw there was a game call, for the Atari called Utah Counties and County Seats. I'm like that's it. I need to uh draft that game. Can I get that on an XEX file? <laughs> so yeah, again, so we're going to for this draft, we're going to pretty much copy the style of no quarter. So there's um There'll be five rounds. Ooh, can I be Carrington? And, <laughs> the yes, honorary Carrington of the podcast. <laughs> yes, you may, except you have to pronounce Zed. Oh, like it should be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so once a, once a game is picked by somebody, it's going to be off the table for the, for the rest of the rounds. And there's, and there's no or, you know, genre or anything, any restrictions. It's got a, it can be geography games or it can be regular games. Um, and no time period restriction either. So it can be modern stuff, homebrew, or you know, you know, back in the day stuff. And um, I too have a theme, but nobody will ever guess it. So I will tell it up front. This, my theme is games that I've hacked on at some, at some level. So either like looking at the source code or messing around with the graphics or something. So nice. So, okay, so number one, first round, our, our first is Jack. Well, I'm going to go with one that is kind of an obvious one. And we had, some of us had some discussion beforehand about an obvious game that many people probably want to pick. And I'm not picking that one. I am picking another obvious game, which is Star Raiders. This is, of course, a classic game that was really one of the, I, I, I don't know if you can say this is one of the launch titles of the platform. It, Probably could have been. I think it came. This is very certainly one of the earliest games, uh, published by Atari, written by Doug Neubauer. Um, and my understanding was he wrote this game bef- entirely on prototype hardware before the hardware was done, and he actually left Atari before the hardware even came out, the 400 and the 800. Um, but this is really a showcase of what this what this hardware could do. He was also a hardware engineer, worked on the Pokey chip and other things. Um, this game came out in 1979 on a cartridge. And um, it's really a one-player game, uh, but it does require the joystick and the keyboard. And sometimes if you're in an intense battle, it can actually be helpful to have two players, have one person running the joystick, the other one turning on and off the computer or changing speed, that sort of thing. Oh, cool. I never tried that. Yeah, it's actually a lot of fun that way because it, it, it turns into a thing where it becomes a sort of cooperative thing and it's about communication. It's about, you know, shouting at each other, <laughs> go left, turn on the shields. <laughs> 
all this stuff. Number one, so, engage. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually pretty fun to, with the way to play it that way. I do that with my kids a bit. Um, so it, the interesting feature of this, it had this sort of 3D star field, which is very unusual for most of any game of that time period. And it's just a nice combination of action and strategy. Um, yeah. If anyone has not played this game, uh, you should go out and play it straight away because it's a lot of fun. It is, yeah, I agree. Has everybody played it? I, I certainly have. Of no, course, everyone's yeah. played Star Raiders. <laughs> I have some sort of loser to not play Star Raiders. Oi, I really haven't played it. <laughs> okay. I, I've seen it, but never actually played it. And when did you, you get your Atari Victor? Uh, ooh, 84, 85 maybe? I know of it. I know of the game, but um, I think me and my friends had it. Uh, I think I met mine had it on a cartridge and didn't have the manual. So oh, it was pretty mm. much out. That's yeah. probably why. Yeah, the manual is, w- manual is important for this game. I will try after we've done this, if I can get a, an image of it and a, a, get a download of the manual, I'll have a go of it, because everyone loves it. And um, yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I honestly hadn't played it until, I don't know, four or five months ago, and uh, my podcasting honestly. cohorts <laughs> yeah. like, nagged me about it. They're just like, why haven't your homework is to play Star Raiders? And I finally did, and it's like, yeah, it's a good game. I see what... What uh, everyone's talking about, what, what cool. people have been talking about for thirty years, I get it. Right. So, but yeah, you, and that's why I never played it as a kid, was because you needed the manual. And first of all, I had a pirated copy, and yeah. I'm sure I could have gotten a cop. I know, uh, I could have gotten a manual from somewhere, but it would have involved reading the manual, and you know, <laughs> it wasn't just a Twitch game. So, anyway, that's why I, I never played it. And yeah, it's good. Yeah, this one that I, I actually bought back in the day. I didn't. I didn't buy a whole lot of games on cartridge, but I bought. I bought some, and this is one that I bought had the manual. And lately, when I when I began look, began looking at it again in the past few months, I downloaded the manual online. It's like, wow, I don't think I read this manual because <laughs> suddenly now <laughs> I understand it so much better than I understood it then. I mean, I I I I got the basics then, but I really got a lot more out of it now. So, yeah, great game for sure. All right. Um, Victor, you want to start with your first pick? Me, 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 me. Yes. Uh, I'm glad I'm going second so no one can pinch this game because this is one of my all-time favorites. Alley Cat. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. By Synapse or Synapse Software. A guy Synapse. called Bill Williams uh, made it. That's what you say. <laughs> um, I love the attract screen of this game. Have we all played this game? That's great. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I'm glad I chose a good one. I love the track screen, right? Like, when you've got the, the cat running around and the dog Bowser tries to chase you and you're jumping on the bins. Really, really yeah. cool game. It's got excellent music. It really uses the Atari's, uh, uh, sound chips for this. Um, uh, let's quickly go over the, 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 it's sort of like an arcade game and it'd be perfect in an arcade machine. I'm sure we've done that on the podcast where we do one of our features, you know, what game should have been in the arcade. And this is one of them, I believe. Um, but there's, there's about four levels in it. Uh, level one is the brush room, uh, where you've got to jump in a goldfish bowl and then you transport it to another screen. And then you, you, you've got to swim around and avoid the electric eels and get the fishies. And there's, there's little, um, uh, levels in between to get to the levels where you sort of, you jump on the bins and you jump on the washing lines. You've got to avoid the mice, um, trying to eat your, eat your, your paws when you're, you're on the washing lines and you jump in a window and that's when you get in the level. I think they're randomized the different levels because you have a different level every time. And then yeah, I think you, you do the levels, uh, and you get to a little bonus screen, which we'll get onto in a minute. Um, but the second level is what I call the big cheese level. Uh, and there's a massive cheese in the room. It's quite trippy actually. It's got this normal room. You've got normal curtains and the brushes moving around trying to sweep you out the, the window. 
And you, if you make a mess on the floor, the, the brush sweeps up. So you make a mess and then go and do what you got to do. So it keeps the brush busy. Um, and then you, ju- you jump on the cheese and there's little holes in it. You can travel through the holes in the cheese. And you've got to get the mice. And then when you do the level, you get to the bonus screen. The third one is the bookshelf. Uh, and you've got to avoid the spiders and get the plants on the top of the, the bookshelf. It's all very Garfield. You're getting mice and, uh, you know, fish and, and, and you don't like plants and stuff like that. <clears throat> and level four is the budgie cage one where you've got to, you've got to, uh, do the same with the brush to keep the brush busy so it doesn't bother you. And you've got to keep nudging the budgie cage off the, off the, uh, the table. And when the budgie flies out, then you've got to try and get the budgie to the level. Uh, and when you do one of these levels, you get to the, the, the thing it's Felicia level, which is your girlfriend cat. And it's a bit, it's a platformy level, and there's loads of uh, other cats trying to stop you getting to the top, and you've got to pick a present up and then get to the top and jump on the hearts. And every now and again, Cupid fires an arrow. Uh, am I imagining this, or was I tripping? It's a really <laughs> trippy game, isn't it? It's when you there is no such game. I just checked Atari Media. <laughs> it's me. What this was going on? What your... was in my breakfast this morning? It's a really cool game. It's very trippy, but the, the sound effects on it. I mean, when you do get to the, the, the girlfriend cat at the end, it does this kissing noise. It's a really good smoochy noise. And the, the sound of the dog, the, then the dog makes, when you have a scrap with a dog, and you're, and it's, it's a really, really cool noise. And it, when I first got this so game. So the, the whole I, point of the game sh- is to get some pussy, is what you're saying. <laughs> we could say that. <laughs> yes, basically it is. Uh, but this, this was one of the, the, the games I used to impress my friends with who had Commodore 64s and ZX Spectrums. Oh, look at that. ZX Spectrums. And, you know, this sort of thing, cause, cause where, when I was a kid, no one had this computer except me. As one of the lads who I knew, I had an 800XL, which I got in the sales when it was really cheap. It was like 50 pounds for the whole set. And he had an 800 he had from years ago. So I think his mum worked in one of the factories in, in Ireland of Atari. So he had a load of Atari stuff for cheap. And he was the only other person I knew who had one at that time. I think two of the guys got one later on. One had a 600 XL or something, so he couldn't play anything because there was hardly any 16K <laughs> games. Because yeah. you got to remember, in the UK, we never really got um, discs. We never really got floppy discs. It was yeah, all on cassette. We got everything on cassette. Yeah. And, it, and on the Atari, it's painful, really painful loading games on cassette. <laughs> so that's my pick. That's awesome pick. Like nice. Did I did I hear some consternation from Wade? Were you gonna, was that on your list, perhaps? Uh, it was, and it uh, is oh, no longer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I could have been cross from that one. First steal. Mm. Yes. So Wade, uh, what's up with that's your okay. first okay. I got some plenty of other ones. Uh, in that case, my first one is going to be Boulder Dash. Uh, this is a... Uh, good choice. Yep. This is one of my all-time favorite games. Uh, it was released in 1984 by First Star Software. Uh, the programmers were Chris Gray and Peter, I think it's Lipa. It's an arcade-style game uh, with one or two players. If it's two players, you alternate. It's not cooperative or anything. Uh, use a joystick. It came out on cassette, disc, and cartridge, all three. So the object is uh, you are uh, Rockford, and you have to dig around these caves, avoiding fireflies, uh, amoeba, and rocks, while collecting diamonds to reveal the exit. Uh, you do have a timer, so you have to complete it in a certain amount of time. And not all of the levels have enough diamonds to reveal the exit, so you have to get creative, and you might have to drop rocks on fireflies or some of the amoeba and turn them into diamonds, then go collect those in order to get enough to reveal the exit. 
So overall, there's, uh, I think, 16 caves with five different levels. And as you complete the levels, every four, you get an intermission. Uh, the one thing that really stands out about this game, I think, is the music. Uh, if you've never heard it, just go fire it up. And at the at the very beginning of it, you'll get a, a great 8-bit tune from the Atari. Uh, and then uh, while you're playing, if you leave Rockford just sitting there long enough, he'll start tapping his feet angrily at you, waiting for you to get going. It's really a fun game. Yeah, great details like that, the tap in the feet. Yeah. I don't think I've really played it. Oh, it's, it's awesome. Oh, yeah, my you gosh. Gotta... Wow. <laughs> and you reminded me about Star Raiders. What's wrong? Right <laughs> put, put yourself. Star Raiders is a seminal game. Boulder Dash is just yet another game published by a third-party publisher. <gasps> Damn you. I don't know. I don't know. I've never played it. I'm sure it's great. Boulder Dash really good. has made In it. In two weeks, I'm probably going to be interviewing that guy, and he's going to be like, yeah. <laughs> and it was I in the arcade as well. There was a version of it put in the arcade later on. Really? I never saw that. I didn't. I didn't either. Wow. Yeah, it was quite. They sort of upgraded the graphics and stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, good game. Awesome, excellent choice. So I guess it's me. Um, Let me guess. So, you know, actually, <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm, I'm going to pick uh, Miner 2049er, which no, is uh, by Bill Hogue on Big Five Software. It's a a platform game for one or two players. If there's two players, you alternate. And um, it's mostly joystick control, but there's a couple levels where you have like elevators and you have to choose a floor and you have to hit a number to get to that floor. It's this, um, I think there's 10 levels on this. It's a single screen platformer, but it's unlike some, it's kind of a combination of, I suppose, Pac-Man and platformers where you have to, you have to like color all the floors, color each little tile of the floor in, in order to complete the level. And you have all these like radioactive bad guys trying to get you. And the thing about this is it's just ridiculously hard. And, you know, you, you can't really fall very far. You can't, I mean, the jumps, you have to be very precise. And so um, my sister and I played this a lot, and we just would die all over the place. And my best friend in high school, this is, part, this is part of my theme, the hacking with things. We tried to change the sprite, the player missile definition, to make it, the guy a little smaller so you couldn't, you could, like, fit through more spots and you couldn't, uh, you wouldn't die as much. But, you know, it's a really, really hard game. And I don't. Th- I never. Compl- I think I only got to the fifth or sixth level. I never certainly never completed it. You did better than me. I think I only got to about the third level in that game. But you're right. It is a very fun game. Yeah, this is one I never played this back in the day. Actually, I I bought this on cartridge not too long ago, a few months ago, oh, from somebody yeah. from someone eBay, and played it for the first. Because I, I don't think I played it back then, but I played it now. I got to maybe level two or three, and it was fun. Like I said, it was very difficult. I do like the one detail though when when you fall too far and the guy dies, it's like <laughs> he, he collapses in down into his yeah. hat. That's cool. It's like he's it's like he must have a very very heavy hat. The hat crushes his body <laughs> entirely. <laughs> and if you get hit by uh, Amini, uh, one of the bad guys, you turn into this really fat thing. He sort of goes in and out, being fat yeah. and thin. <laughs> it's a really weird effect. It's never one of my favorites. I played it back in the day, and it just seemed, I don't know, I. I didn't like it. I mean, didn't just didn't go back to it. That's because you, I, sir, have no taste. I, I, <laughs> how about your true. pick? You gonna go for the one we've not talked about? But... Yes, I'm. I am going with the obvious choice that you have all missed. Um, I'm going with Jumpman, oh, which there you go. Which I believe, sincerely believe, is the best game ever programmed for the Atari machines or any game, any game machine ever. 
I agree. history. I'm with you. Ever. <laughs> um, but I haven't yeah. hacked on it yet, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jumpman was uh, uh, written by Randy Glover, who will not return my calls, and uh, published by uh, Epics, um, a fantastic platform game in which uh, you're a little guy and you run around and you try to collect the little bombs, which are defended by various baddies. The cool thing about the game is that there are 30 levels, and there's really very little repetition between them. They're all like a different sort of puzzle or you have to figure out the pattern or there's a different kind of robot or alien or bad guy that you need to defeat. Um, and uh, it's, it's a really, this is one of the few games I actually paid for. And I feel like, wow, I got my replayability out of that game. Yeah, it's a seriously. really, really good game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's the best game on the Atari platform or yeah, really about almost any platform. And the, you know, just the, the details, like you say, in all the different levels, you know how you can jump and you can grab onto the the bottom of one level and it'll pull yourself back up. And so it feels like you're not you're not you're not fighting the the mechanics of the game. You're you know it's like you're really connected to the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, yep. it's a great one. Well, I guess I'm gonna have to go and play it. I've only played oh Jumpman Junior, which I don't like. It's too hard. Yeah, Jumpman Junior. Yeah, mm. yeah. Jumpman <laughs> is a little bit easier than Jumpman. Oh, is there Jr. a lot of difference between the two? They're all different levels in Jumpman Junior, and it seems it seemed to me anyway. Jumpman kind of ramped you up since they had thirty levels. They give you a bunch of easy ones, sort of start to start out. Yeah, there was kind of a a, a learning curve. Jumpman Junior, right? There's only ten levels, and you can only attack them in order. With Jumpman, there there's ways to get to them out of order by playing the randomizer and things. But uh, yeah, there are still levels of Jumpman Junior I haven't seen because that game's mm. hard. It's, it's difficult getting. I found I was playing it last night, and it's difficult getting on and off the ladders. It'd be very precise when you get on and off. And that stupid bullet that keeps firing at you got me every time. <laughs> yeah. God, that's a horrible enemy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try yeah. and get a jump man though. It sounds good. Yeah, for sure. And actually, that's one that I would say that uh, you really have to do it with a joystick or maybe a joypad at least. I tried doing it with a, with a keyboard and an emulator with like the arrow keys and it just oh. does not work oh, properly. Sacrilege. You actually have, have to use a controller. Yes. Mm. So. Yeah. I, hadn't, I haven't tried that on it with a of the uh, keyboard, but that sounds like it would be terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did not work at all. <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us to the end of round one. So well, I, I win. I picked the best game. <laughs> yeah. We're done now. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, I did. It's got cats in it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack, back to you for first pick of the second round. All right, my pick for round two is Mule. Oh yeah. Awesome. By Oz- developed by Ozark Software, published by uh, Electronic Arts. Uh, Kevin, I think you interviewed one or one guy from Ozark Software, didn't you? Yes, Alan Watson, I think. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yep. So this was a great game. Came out in 1983 on disc, and it's for one to four players. So if you, if you had an Atari 400 or 800, you could actually plug in four joysticks and all play this at once, um, which was super super fun. I only did that with. I didn't have that many friends. It was hard to get three other people to come to my house and play a game with me, but I did it a few times. I managed to convince people to play. Um, but I played a lot of the uh, two-player game with at least one friend. And the nice thing about this game is it has like this nice mix of... like It's essentially a strategy game. There's a little bit of action, and there is a bit of a finance simulation in there because you're buying and selling goods as you... As, you, know, you need a little bit of something, you sell something else. And it lets you... Uh, uh, when you're no matter how many players, human players you have, there are always four players in the game. So the computer fills out the rest. So 
if you're playing two players playing with a friend, when it comes to the part of the game where you are sort of trading stuff and you're buying and selling things, you can do a collusion with your friend. So you can sort of <laughs> fix the price and lock the computer out of the trade, which is really sort of a, it's a fun thing. Like, it makes you feel like, haha, we're cheating against the computer. Um, <laughs> and uh, so th- as far as the, the layout of the game, it's basically a single screen at a time game. It's kind of like a, basically switches you between different kind of areas of focus. Like one screen is kind of a a map screen where you're choosing your territory and moving from one piece to another. There's a screen that represents kind of the, the central sort of town area of the space that you're, that you're exploring. Basically the idea is that you are, uh, you're sort of colonizing a planet or something and you're sort of picking territories in which you want to say this territory is mine and here I'm going to mine for ore or have a farm or whatever. And so it switches between different views and the, the mule of the title is an automated uh, assistant. I don't remember what it stands for. Multi-use labor element. Thank you. I knew somebody Poser. would know. You don't know anything. <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so your mule is basically just a thing that you, you tell it to go and work on something, and it goes and works your mine or works your field or whatever. So anyway, so apart from like the, the map screens, there are also screens that show you the results of ongoing auctions and where they're, you know, the results of uh, just various parts of the economic economic situation in terms of what's being harvested and mined and stuff. So, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to play this game. Um, I don't think I ever had a manual for this, and I, my friends and I, got how to play it pretty quickly. It, it kind of walks you through it. It sort of takes you from one step to the other. So, yeah. great fun. And if you have a way of getting four players to do this at once, you should really do so. Yeah, yeah, the four, nothing better than a four-player mule game. That's awesome. That's true. Yeah, as yeah. fun as the game is, it's just way better when you have four real people. Um, yeah. I've you never should... played it. <laughs> you, you, yeah, get, get some people together and do it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really into strategy games, but we, I never saw this one in the UK at all. I sort of knew about it later on, but never saw it in the UK. Well, you should grab an image and give it a shot. It's mm. a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe. That's my pick. All right, awesome. Uh, let's see what's for Victor. Victor what game? What game have you played, Victor? <laughs> oh, I have played many games, old son. Right. Um, I am just trying to work out which ones I'm going to do next. I think I'm going to do a game called Mr. Dig by Micro Deal. Where are my notes on it? Victor, it's Mr. like you Dig. and I played exact opposite games. Never heard of this game. <laughs> yeah, I've never I heard of this. Done. Me either. Um, well, it was a company called Micro Deal. I'm not sure if they were a UK company or not. And they did a lot of stuff in 1984, because about three or four of my picks, or the ones, my possible picks, are done by the same author, uh, someone called Rita J. And Kevin, if you ever get hold of this person, you should interview them. They've done lots of good games, really cool games. All right. So yeah, Rita J. I might have to uh, have you in on the interview, because I don't know what to ask Rita J. Because <laughs> I've never yeah. played any of Rita's games. Anyway, Mr. Dig basically is a Mr. Do ripoff. It's exactly that. Uh, Mr. Do from the arcade, which is a really, really cool mm-hmm. game. And uh, I think, I presume Rita is a, a lady. Uh, she did a really, really good job of it. It's got all the music from the arcade game. It's got all the elements of the arcade game where you, you drop the apples on the bad guys and you throw your ball around, your little clown running around and there's these meanies trying to get you. Uh, and the only thing I, I tried to look for, I couldn't find, is when you get an extra life, when you get extra, when you kill the, the guys with the, the letters inside of them uh, you get an extra life and there's a little animation on the arcade version where you, you you see your clown throwing a ball at this big dragon and he, he waves his white flag and you, you get an extra life and that's the only bit on this game you that isn't on there 
but it's a really, really good version of Mr. Do. And I actually played, I think it's the Datasoft version of Mr. Uh, Mr. Do, which is, I think was the, um, the proper official, um, uh, port of it for the Atari. And it's nowhere near as good as Mr. Dig. Mr. Dig's a way better game. It really is. It's even got the same level layouts because on Mr. Do, when you play Mr. Do, if you ever watch it, level one has got a level one written out in, in the dirt. You know, like, uh, when you dig through the dirt, it's got number one. Then number two has got number two and three has got three all the way up to nine and it goes back to zero. Hmm. Uh, so that was sort of the level. And I actually know there's a guy in the UK who, who used to, um, import the games to the UK back in the day. He was like a major importer. I've actually spoken to this guy. He runs, um, a company called Electrocoin in the UK. And he was in on the design with the Japanese, um, universal company when he did the levels. And he said, Oh, why don't you put the level numbers on there? So he was the guy who actually sort of came about that, that, uh, area of it. Interesting. Yeah. Really, really cool game. I'll have a go of it. It's an excellent version of Mr. Do. Yeah. Never heard of it. Thanks. I presume Microdeal were a UK um, game maker. They must be. I'm just surprised, looking at some screenshots, I'm surprised that I never noticed that Mr. Do had numbers yeah, <laughs> carved that's out what, in the dirt. When, when the it's sort of embarrassing me, when you look at it and realize, I've seen this how many times and I never noticed in, in that. 30 years. Yeah, he said to me about it. He said, have you ever noticed that? And I went, no. And I looked and went, well, blow me. Look at that. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> cool. That's well, number two for me. All right. Wade, it looks like you're up for number two. All right, my second one is going to be Bruce Lee. Uh, this was uh, oh, an game. excellent game. Yeah, yeah this is a 1984 uh, Datasoft, uh, written by Ron J. Fortier, I believe. It's a multi-screen platform game with one or two players. You can uh, one interesting aspect is that you can do if you're two players, you can do alternating, or you can do player versus player, or cooperative. Um, so you use the joystick and it came on cassette or disc. So, uh, who are you? You are Bruce Lee. And what do you have to do? Well, you enter this fortress of the evil wizard and you have to collect his fortunes. Uh, you have to defeat him to earn immortality and infinite wealth. And there are two foes that you have to fight. There is a ninja, which uses his, uh, stick against you. And you can defeat this one with two kicks or two blows. And there is also a green Yamo, which hits you with powerful kicks. And when he hits you, it'll knock you back on the screen, and you have to get back up, and then you can run at him again. Um, but he takes three blows from you to defeat. And these appear um, two or three on the screen at a time, and once you defeat them all, they will start reappearing. So you've got to use that to your advantage, and when they're gone, get the uh, collect the lanterns that you need to collect. Um, so... As you collect these lanterns, it will again open the exits, and you have to get enough of them to do that. Uh, there are about 20 different rooms to explore, and the closer you get to the wizard, um, there are electric charges that you have to avoid and exploding bushes. And when you're actually fighting the wizard, he will shoot fireballs from his eyes. And uh, one interesting feature of this game is that if you are a left-handed player you could set the joystick so it had left-handed control and you could rotate it 90 degrees to the right so the button was on the oh. other side i did not know that yeah. wow kinda interesting. cool are you a lefty wade i am not that's just an interesting fact i found about it i had never knew it <laughs> at the time i didn't remember that that's funny there you yeah, go but uh Great game, yeah. My sister and I used to play that as well. 
you know, kind of the cooperative mode rather than than because what the second player can control the green guy. The green that... guy, yeah, the green ammo. Yeah, yeah. This is an awesome game. We always refer to the green guy as Barum because of the noise he would make. He pulled down the joystick. Yeah. He says Barum, Barum. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever played um, Bruce Lee Two, the follow-up that no. someone did on a homebrew no. for the Commodore sixty four? It's recent. Home yeah, room? it's really good. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, I downloaded it for the Commodore 64 the other day. It's an excellent game. Really cool. Awesome. Yeah, great pick. Yeah, I love that game. Uh, well, I guess that's up to me now. So my second pick is Mountain King by um, EF Dreyer and Robert Madsen of CVS Software. And I, well, like, I shouldn't even have to say this, but like all, pretty much all the software I got was pirated. So this is a pirated copy. Um, but I think it was out on both disc and cartridge. It's just a one-player game. It's a it's a scrolling platform game. The the play the playfield is, I don't know, really wide, 10, 12 screens wide. I don't know, and three or four screens tall. It's really big. But on it, there's like all these. There's probably ten or twelve levels visible on any any one screen. And so you're a little guy. You can jump up these little levels, and your object is to collect these diamonds. And we get when you get enough diamonds, then you go. I think you go down and have to defeat the spider or something on the bottom. I don't know. It's been a long time since I played this, but it's got a really great uh, rendition of "In the Hall of the Mountain King" as the theme song too. Ah, and uh, I've just said that. Um, I've got a feeling this game was released as Desmond's Dungeon in the UK. Hmm. It sounds just like it because I've got that as one of my picks, and I was going to mention it uses uh, "In the Hall of the Mountain Kings." I wonder, huh? Have a, have a quick look at Desmond's Dungeons if you can find it. Nope, that is different. I'm looking at screenshots. That's something that's pretty different. Oh, right. Because that is an excellent game as well. Okay. Maybe we'll hear about it later. But yeah, the, mm. so the reason I picked about this one is uh, this is the. I don't know why I I discovered this, and I don't know why I had this old broken joystick around, but if you ever had, like, took apart a CX40 joystick and it had this little circuit board, um, I don't know why I decided to, to just press buttons and press multiple buttons at the same time. It turns out if you press up and down at the same time, your little guy will jump up and then he'll pause just in, in midair and then he'll start to rise and he just goes straight up and the, the play field scrolls <laughs> wow. into a bunch of garbage. And so you can, you can jump you on all these garbage it. characters and stuff. And uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was a blast. I just, out of the, I, I don't know how my sister and I discovered this, but it was <laughs> it's just fun. So Sounds if you ever great. hack apart a joystick and do this, it's a, it's a fun way to, <laughs> to mess around with the game. Cool. Cool. So, I was going to mention on your your other game, the Minor Twenty Forty Nine. I rem- one of the first like Easter eggs I learned about was I think if you entered the the phone number from the the uh, the front page into the game, then you could jump to any level in the game. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that rings a bell. Yeah, that's coming yeah. back to me now. There was different cheats for that, and I think on on the follow up Bounty Bob, there's cheats oh, for it as well. Really? Yeah. You know, yeah. I think now that you mentioned, it, I think I did hear about this. You know. Re- fairly recently, I didn't know about that back then. That's yeah, you had to type the phone number, then like shift eight would send you to level eight, and shift seven would you know level. So that's I don't that's think what my memory tells me. But I'm yeah, I haven't even seen some of those levels. So that's, <laughs> that's a good way to do that. We need that for Jumpman Junior. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kevin, I think you're up for the last pick of round two. Last pick of round two. Uh, my pick is Atlas of Canada, which was published by Atari Program Exchange in 1982. <laughs> uh, no, my so no, I picked this game. I did not know that this game was published by Atari. I, I mean, I literally just learned this. My my pick is Cave Lord, which was a German game. Um, it was published by Atari Germany, 
uh, released in 1984, written by a programmer named Peter Finzel or Finzel. Um, and I just had always assumed, because I got everything pirated, that it, but I just assumed it was it was written by some homebrew programmer in Germany back in the day. But apparently, I'm looking at the box. It's got the silver official Atari box. Um, so anyway, I'm just a little stunned by that. A really great game um, in which you are a guy flying a bird around, sort of joust style. Uh, but rather than jousting, you're flying around caves and uh, trying to find the pieces of the crown that the queen, I think the queen wants you to get for her. So she says in German... Find the crown and bring it to me. And then your goal is to fly around, uh, avoiding bad guys, shooting obstacles. Um, there's waterfalls. There's things falling at you. And you have to kind of now fi- fi- learn your way around the cave, find the pieces of the crown, uh, assemble it, and and bring it back um, to the, the monarch at the beginning of the game. Hmm. Um, it has since been hacked to English if you don't speak German like me you could but I, I prefer to play it in the original German you know <laughs> I, I only read the poetry in the original French and I play Cave so Lord <laughs> I play Cave Lord in the original German um, so I don't know if this is a well known game or not but I've never heard of it never heard of it it's really one of my favorites I've written Possibly, it down yeah. I'm gonna look at it later yeah for sure yep I've heard of this lately, but never never played it yet. Looks pretty interesting. Yeah. I noticed that a lot of if you do a Google image search for this, it 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 mixes it up a lot with screenshots from Spelunker. Mm. Uh, right. Well, Jack, I guess you're up for the first pick of round three. All right. Well, I was going to pick uh, Bruce Lee, but that's taken. <laughs> Damn. So my next pick is Realm of Impossibility. Ah. Ah. He's <laughs> getting his picks stolen. <laughs> this was developed by a guy called Mike Edwards. Actually, he first published this as a game called Zombies. And then uh, EA picked it up and republished it as Realm of Impossibility. I think they added some levels also at the time. Um, so this came out in 1984 on disc. You play this with joystick plus keyboard. Uh, you can use the keyboard to cast spells. Basically, what you are is uh, this is kind of a oh how do I describe this? So it's a uh, it's like you're running through a maze, and the maze consists of screen after screen of weird spaces that look like they're designed by M. C. Escher. So like you have to kind of like figure out how to navigate through these weird contorted tunnels, and it's all kind of from an up in the air sort of three quarters forced perspective. Not quite uh, uh, what sort I'm looking for. It's not quite like 45 degrees on like Qbert, but it's uh and it's not top down either. It's more Zaxxonish. Crystal Castle yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's not quite isometric either. It's like uh. a fake isometric because everything is rather than being sort of diamond shaped. If you look if you would see a square on the ground, it's not diamond shaped, it's a trapezoid. So, mm. uh anyway, it's a it's a very cool game and a very sort of frantic action. You have these little nice graphics, little tiny guys who are you running around and little tiny uh, creatures who are chasing you and you can like cast different spells that you pick up along the way to confuse monsters or to make them freeze and as you're running through you press the fire button not to attack anybody but to drop tiny crosses after you like you're a 
like like you're a vampire hunter and, and you're dropping crosses to to make the, make the the monsters not be able to follow you. But actually, the crosses just become sort of obstacles. You can't cross where you've left the the crosses either. Hmm. Um, for a while, they disappear after a while. Anyway, it's a it's a lot of fun. This is a one or two player game, and uh, it's a good time. I've never played it. Huh? Anybody else play this one? No, nope, so. never played it. Cool. This yeah. was a good one, and I remember I that. Like, I remember that at the at the time, this was uh, pretty heavily advertised in some of the magazines, and I got pretty excited about the screenshots. And I may have actually even bought this one. I'm not sure. The name rings a bell. When they said yeah. it's almost an isometric, the name rings a bell now. Rings on possibility. I'm sure I read about it in the magazines back in the day. I think I sure. might have played this back in the day. But I don't. It didn't stick with me. I don't really remember it. But something about okay. it does seem familiar. We're getting on a bit. Our memories are failing us. Yeah. No, right. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, you're not getting on. <laughs> we are zombies. Uh, so I guess yeah. So Victor, I guess speaking for yourself, it's pick number three for you. Yeah. Number three. Yeah. Um, can I have two games together, please? <laughs> uh, mainly because they use similar arcade hardware. Uh, Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Junior. Uh, published by Nintendo in '82 and '83 for both of them. Uh, let's do Donkey Kong first. Um, the biggest thing for me is it's got all four levels, all four le- of the proper levels from Donkey Kong. Um, Everyone's always going on about, oh, the Coleco version of Donkey Kong's really good. I don't think the Coleco version ever had all four versions, not the original one. I think the later one that came out, the DK2, or DK2000, whatever, 2K, had all four levels. But the Atari version had all four levels from the get-go. And it's a really good version. But the only thing I, I moaned about when I was playing at it is on the very first level, the Girder level, they put Kong on the right-hand side rather than the left-hand side. So they monkeyed around with the levels. Monkey. They monkeyed hey, with it. Do you see what I did there? Do you see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a really good version of it. Um, the sounds are quite accurate. The gameplay is quite accurate. And it's it's best v- a version on any 8-bit I've ever played, I think. It's got to be easily the best version. I agree. Which is, no one ever says about the Atari version. They've always gone about, you know, the the really bad Intellivision version. <laughs> or, or, you know, the updated <laughs> versions. Because the, the new Intellivision version is really, really good. The 2K version's really good, and the Coleco version's quite good as well. But they never used to go on about the Atari version being absolutely excellent. And you can buy on a cartridge as well, so it's an instant loader as well, which is great. Uh, Donkey Kong Jr., which is a similar game, it uses very similar mechanics. Um, it, it's got subtleties of the original. In If you if you were a, a good Donkey Kong or Donkey Kong Jr. player, uh, and I, I wouldn't profess to be good, I'm okay at it, um, but when you jump near a bad guy and they miss you and you move a control, so say you jump and you go right when you're near Kong's foot or whatever in Junior, you get the points for it. And you could do that on the Atari version. So I'm not sure if they, they meant to do it on purpose or whether it was the same kind of bug they had in, in the arcade version. You can do that as well. And this has got all four levels as well. Because usually Mario's hideout is missing on most um, home versions of it. And this has got it. And even the chain climbing, when you when you you knock out all the chains, you get the keys to the top of the chains, and Kong falls, and then you you know you grab you grab your dad and you kick Mario off. Um, when you when you actually grab hold of the chains, you can grab them from nearly any angle, and you get hold of them, and you can get going quickly. So you can do the level quite quickly, and you do this in the arcade version. And even the arcade bootleg PCBs of this don't have that mechanic 
properly done. And on the 60-in-1 boards, you can get these cheap Chinese 60-in-1 PCBs for arcade machines. They don't have that either. It doesn't work. The Atari version does work. So it's actually more accurate than the new Commodore 64 Homebrew, because that was released a few years ago, which is a very good version. But the Atari version, released in 83, is way better, I think. I concur. Those are two of my favorite games. Yeah, really good versions on the Atari, I think. Interesting. You know, I think I I played a fair amount of these in the arcade, especially Junior. I played mm-hmm. a lot of Duncan Jr. in the arcade. Great I don't thing. think I ever had either of these for my Atari, now that I think about it. Neither yeah, did I, I, I don't think, but not back in the day. I only picked them no. up for my uh, my multi-cartridge recently. I thought, oh, I might as well try them out. They're going to be awful, like the 2600 or the Intellivision version. They're right. really, really good. I was playing them quite okay. a lot last night. I always cool. found Junior, Junior so hard. I mean, I don't think I've ever gotten Noob. off the first level of Junior. I <laughs> So frustrating. Like, throw your joystick on the floor hard just so frustrating <laughs> next time i come to uh, oregon i'll shout play it <laughs> all right wade you're number three all right my next one is going to be montezuma's revenge oh great game yeah this was a uh, 1984 from parker brothers uh programmed by robert yeager it's a multi-screen platformer it's one player with a joystick and it was released on disc and uh, you are Panama Joe. The objective is to navigate the Aztec Emperor's Fortress and collect treasure. You need to collect colored keys as well to unlock matching colored doors, and you also need torches, swords, and amulets to complete your quest. You've got to avoid snakes, spiders, and bouncing skulls, and you have to watch out for disappearing doors and bridges, and in later levels, laser walls. There are overall a hundred chambers to explore, and I have yet to get through all of the game. So it's uh, there's 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 a lot of work involved in it, but it's quite fun game. Similar in uh, aligns to like Pharaoh's Curse and things like that. Yeah, I remember playing this, but yeah, there's got nowhere near the end. It's like holy cow, it's huge. Dun, 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 dun. <sighs> That's in my head now. Thank you very much. <laughs> that is a great game. I love the animation of the skulls yeah. in this, where they sort mm-hmm. of roll around. Yeah. And another yeah. good thing about this, when you when you you fall off a platform too high, and your guy gets all crumpled on the ground, and he sort of moves his foot around, and you look all sort of knackered. <laughs> it's great that animation. Love that. But he doesn't get crushed by his hat, so it's not as no. good. <laughs> no, no, not his Panama. He, yeah, he just looks badly broken. Yeah, properly broken. <laughs> All right, I guess it's up me. So uh, my third pick is Bacterion, which is a game from Analog, Analog Computing Magazine. Ah, that's why I haven't this heard of it. It was one of the type-in games, and um, Kyle Peacock and Tom Hudson wrote it in Analog issue number 20, which is um, 82. I forgot I forgot to write the month. Um, but I'm sure I'll get there at some point in the podcast. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I, I typed in the hex values and did, I don't know if you guys typed in all those crazy oh, pages and pages. Too of hex many values. times, too yeah. many times. Did that. And then, uh, somehow I got the source code. I can't, I don't know if I typed it in or what, but that's, that's my hacking on this one is that I looked at the source code for this. It's a, it's a joystick game, one or two cooperative, one or two people, and you play cooperatively. And I really love like cooperative multiplayer games. And this is so the game style. It's based on the arcade game Ripoff, uh, which is um, it's the the arcade Ripoff was you were these two little tanks protecting a bunch of fuel depots in the in the center of the screen, and your little, the little bad guys come try to grab the the fuel canisters away. And so as the game goes on, 
the sort of the fuel canisters spread out, and you have to kind of figure out which to which to protect and which to ignore. It's this sort of war of attrition. Uh, Ripoff was one of the first arcade games I ever saw. I think 1980. I think it's a really early. It's a Simatronics arcade game. I think it's 80, maybe even 79. Yeah, vector game. Yeah, vector game, black and white vector game. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is just, this is a great version. It's uh, got sort of frantic music that gets a little bit. Uh, the you know the tempo increases as you lose the fuel canister. Well, I guess they call them bacteria things. There's some there's a little backstory in the magazine that just kind of like whatever. Yeah, it's a rip, it's a rip off of rip off. <laughs> <But they couldn't, laughs> it's but, yeah something about synthetic humans and I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I, and I I picked this game yeah because I sort of hacked on the source code and analog was great trying to learn machine languages and you know they published these full source code listings for all the all their machine language programs and yeah, just a great, great game. Hmm. Nice. It's gone on my list. Yeah. If you like ripoff, this is a, it's a good, yeah, it's a good version. My choice is uh, States and Capitals, which was released by Atari in 1980 on cassette, uh, written by Robert Pilaro. I had this one. I had this one. (laughs) No, I didn't. I didn't read. No, my choice is Zeppelin. Um, which was written by uh, Catherine Mataga in 1983, published by Synapse. Uh, as I was, I was thinking about this, I'm like, this is really not that different from Cave Lord. I think there's a kind of game I like. <laughs> you're flying through a cave, but this time you're on a blimp instead of like on a bird uh, and shooting at things and trying to collect treasures and blow things up. And uh, even if you don't like this kind of game, you if you loaded it up in your emulator and just spent three minutes listening to the introductory music. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so good. It's just so yeah. good. Um, just the, the intro theme song is just delicious. And then the game is really awesome. Yeah, I think and this is one of the games with... you recommended to Victor for the it third was. segment. Yeah. And I haven't managed to find uh, an XEX file of it for my uh, side two cartridge yet, but I'm going to look for it. Um, it looks a bit like a sort of cross between Scramble and Vanguard and Crazy Balloon. It looks really good. Really cool sort of game. game. Yeah, it's sort of it's a game is almost on rails. You know, you hmm. you kind of it scrolls and you kind of have to stay with the scroll. Um, yeah, and you know, without hitting the cave walls and stuff. So it's not like you have a lot of autonomy, but not complete autonomy in where you go. And hmm. which I, to me at the time, was a unique game. Style. And you can fire in four different directions as well, can't you? Yes. Cool. Yeah. That would be a like twin, twin stick shooter. Yeah, like Robotron type of thing. Right. Um, good choice. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. I'm try and get that one. I think it's good. All right. Well, I guess that concludes round three. So Jack can kick us off round four here. All right. Uh, round four. I'm going to go with Wizard of War. Um, this is a game that is not maybe a super great game, but for me holds a lot of nostalgia value because I think this was the second game I got for my Atari 400 back in the days. This is, you know, before I found any sort of past piracy and before I had a, before I had a floppy drive or a modem or anything. And all I had was, you know, the few cartridges I could scrounge up to save to buy. Um, so this is a port of an arcade game by the same name. The port was done by Rocklin and came out in 1981. Uh, on cartridge it's for one or two players and basically you are these two guys in a maze kind of looking like a little pac-man maze Uh, but instead of there are no pills to pick up uh, you are little men walking around with guns shooting at monsters who are also roaming around this maze 
And the monsters can turn invisible at times, and there are uh, certain special monsters that appear in certain sequences. Um, the I think the oh, I forget what it's called. There are di- there are different monsters that have different names when they come, and it tells you when they come. It says, "Look out! Here comes the." I think the warlock is the 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 hardest one to kill, and like he he teleports around and seems to cheat and makes it very hard to kill. Um, but it's it's a lot of it, the game is a lot of fun, and I remember playing this first in the arcade. It must have been in 1980, and it was really punishingly difficult to play this game. And then when I got on, when I bought it from my computer, I was suddenly I was relieved that it was actually quite a bit easier to play than the arcade game was. Um, but it, I feel like it struck a nice balance because it actually made it playable. You could actually you could actually feel like you were accomplishing something. You could you know survive more than just one level. So um, this is again something good to play. And one or two players, you can actually have. Uh, two people play at once and you can either sort of decide to team up and try and kill the bad guys or go PVP and kill each other up to you. Um, one weird thing about this game is almost unlike any other game that you ever have seen that has two players. If you do a one player game, your player is on the right hand side of the screen. If you do two, two players and player two is on the left. So backwards from the typical left, right layout of most two player games like this. Yeah, I don't think I played this on the eight bit. It's pretty good. It's it's it's. I think it's worth worth playing. An overlooked gem. <laughs> well, I like the arcade version. So yeah, I'll have to look at this. The graphics are, of course, a bit simpler than they were in the arcade, um, but they're still. I think they're still quite nice. So great. All right. How about Victor? Your fourth oh, me pick. Again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one is Kangaroo from Atari 1983, originally made in the arcade by a company called Sun, and Atari uh, licensed it. It's a cutesy arcade conversion, a really good version as well, uh, made a little bit simpler, I think. Uh, you, you're a mama kangaroo, and you've got to get up the platforms, uh, avoiding the monkeys throwing apples at you, and get your baby kangaroo, which is uh, the, the, the monkeys have uh, kidnapped her or him and blindfolded her. Uh, you've got to get to the top, and uh, you can pick up different fruits on the way up, and you can ring a bell and get more fruits and go back down for the fruit bonuses. Uh, there's four levels to this. Um, the first level is almost exactly the same as the arcade. Uh, the music and, and the graphics are really good. They, they sort of suit, you know, you can tell it's easily kangaroo. Uh, but the, the good thing about the Atari one that I hated in the arcade is at the very top of the arcade one, there was a monkey throwing apples, and his apples would bounce down the levels, and they were quite... Difficult to predict where they're going to land. They're usually on my head as you're going up a ladder. Um, and he isn't in this, so he makes the first level quite easy. And it's very, and you've got, um, uh, boxing gloves on. And it's the most satisfying thing, punching a monkey in the face. <laughs> it really is. I love it. This game. Um, sorry, but it just is, because they're, they're throwing apples at you. What do you expect? You can jump and duck the apples as well. When you duck, it makes a really cute sort of noise and when you jump it makes it's it's got really it's very similar to the arcade and level two is virtually the same a little bit easier you've got to there's a little monkey standing on top of each other and the cage at the top has got your your baby kangaroo and you've got to punch the monkeys out the way uh and this is easier than the arcade version again because on the arcade version just to the right of the um the caged monk uh, the caged uh baby kangaroo there's a load of apples and the monkeys keep going across and putting more apples in and if they put too many in the apples all fall down on top of you and you get like loads of them come down and you've got to try and avoid them it's very difficult to avoid and they left that out of the atari version i presume because of um programming constraints because it was probably quite difficult to animate all those different things coming down at the same time but it makes it easier like the first one makes it easier the third one's exactly the same. 
Uh, so I think I got level two and three ran the wrong way. I think level two is just a quite an easy platform. You just got to get to the top, and that's exactly the same as the arcade. And then level four is very similar as well. It's almost like, almost reminds me of the Pie Factory in Donkey Kong Jr., where you just got to sort of get to the top uh, and jump across platforms. But it's the only thing wrong with it, I, I'd say, is because the arcade version is a vertical game. The monitor monitors turned ninety degrees. This sort of makes it a little bit too fat. It looks too fat on the screen. And what they should have done, perhaps, like they did in a lot of 8-bit, especially the Commodore 64 and Spectrum, is they, they would cut off the right-hand side of the screen, two th- a third of it, and so the, the game would look vertical, but it would be obviously a lot smaller in the screen. But yeah, the, the graphics and sound effects on this game are really, really good. It's a really good conversion, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I think it, it crossed my, my pirated desk, but I don't think I've played it all that much. Yeah, really, really Anybody good version. I remember playing this in the arcade. I don't think yeah. I had this for my, for my Atari, though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I really I like I like the arcade game quite a lot. Mm, and this is like see. you said, it is sort of very cutesy and appealing to kids, and yet it's all about punching your monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Eloquently mixed put. messages here. Yeah, I remember it being one one of the earlier games that I received via piracy, and uh, so one of the earlier Atari games I played. It was fun. It's good. Mm, it's a good little game. Yeah, it's not bad, but not actually Atari. Uh, there was there was a, a a little sort of thing on on one of the the forums I visit the UK VAC forums a while back saying I oh, watch your favourite Atari game, and and I put in I think I put in something like um like Kangaroo and they said well that's not Atari I went oh god it isn't is it and you know Pole Position wasn't Atari it was Namco in all these different versions and you think oh mm-hmm. Jesus you know trying to work out what is actually an Atari game you know, Xevious and stuff like that you know it's all all for, from sort of uh, sublet into Atari who sort of released it in, in America or whatever. Uh, so that's my pick. All right, good, good, good choice. All right, Wade, how about you for pick number four? All right, my number four, and I'm surprised nobody's picked this yet. Uh, maybe because it was too popular. Uh, Seven Cities of Gold. Oh, Again, that's one of mine. Oh, stole it. Ah, <laughs> hate that game. It, Never played it. Don't bother. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this was. This was from uh, 1984 Electronic Arts. Uh, it was programmed by Dan Bunton, Jim Rushing, and Alan Watson. Uh, it's a strategy game. One player uses a joystick and came on disc. And uh, you are conquistadors, and the object is to explore the new world. And through the exploration, you have to either conquer enemies or make friends with them. You'll come across cities which you are obviously not going to be able to conquer right away. Um, Some smaller tribes you might be able to. Um, This incorporated some of the aspects of like what Mule did. You do have um, resources that you need to collect, and you can trade these resources. You can uh, trick, use trickery to get resources, uh, treachery, and uh, obviously conquest. If you take over something, then you can get their resources. So there are four different commodities. There's men, food, goods, and gold. So it's up to you to make sure you have enough men to conquer, uh, enough food to feed all your men, enough goods to trade, and the object, obviously, is to get as much gold as you can, right? So one of the neat things about this game is there are over 200 settlements that you could conquer and over 2,800 game screens to navigate through. So there were so many game screens in this game. Each more tedious than the last. (laughs) Yes. Well, there's so many of them in there that they had to use disk caching and overlays to fit them all in. 
so or to use them all effectively. And one interesting fact is there are a lot of versions of this game made for like the Commodore, the IBM PC, etc. But only the Atari version was fully complete. Hmm. But yeah, it's a strategy strategy simulation game, and I spent quite a bit of time doing it, but I don't think I ever beat it. Yeah, it's, it's almost like an open-ended game, really. You can just keep going, right? Uh, I would guess so, yeah. Yeah. I, uh... Maybe it... Maybe an early um, uh, civilization type game, I guess. Right, yeah, by the and by the same, essentially the same team that did Mule. You know, it's a Ozark right. Softscape, yeah. Just a, Only Mule yeah. was good, and this was not. <laughs> this, yeah, <laughs> this is a. It, was, it certainly is. It, I mean, you had to have a lot of patience for this game, for sure. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, and today it would be would kind of would be probably hard to play just because you know you're not used to waiting so long and. You know, but back then, yeah, I, I don't know. I played it a lot, and uh, Wade, Wade stole my next pick. That was gonna be what I was gonna pick, and uh, I remember getting killed a lot in it, or yeah. defeated. <laughs> anyway, I like it. Uh, yeah, and and I guess the reason I was gonna pick it is because I this is one of the few games that I, I actually cracked the protection on this one, Ooh. and uh, oh. I this I cracked on a couple, and this is the only one I remember the details of. A lot of a lot of the games you could crack protection by looking at the like disassembling the code right on disk and you find the the jump vector to a, a disk access find that find out what is it what it was expecting and then just do the opposite code in that yeah code in that expected value but this one it was all it was like i don't know it was xor encrypted or something on disk and so i was able to i was able to break this by figuring out using the um shoot i'm blanking on the name omnimon the omnimon that's what it was yeah yeah so you can pop into that and and then find out a vector to jump to that would start the game from scratch. And then I just coded that back and stuck that back on disk. And so it loaded up that first bit and then it would continue on with the game after that. But so Wade stole my pick. And EA are coming after you now. I know, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> my friend did that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't me. You sell out. It was my friend. So for my, what would have been my fifth pick, now my fourth pick is Spelunker. Ah, that was going to be one of mine. So I think Wade gets the most stolen from him. <laughs> yep. Sorry about that. But uh, this is a, a scrolling game. It's a single-player game. It's another I, game in a cave. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that might be the overarching theme here today. The um, It was by a guy named Tim Martin from Micrographic Image. I guess that was a studio, and it was published by Broderbund. A 1983 game. I got it, of course, pirated. But apparently it was on both disc and cartridge. It's a, a joystick and a keyboard game. So it's it's a scrolling platform. It's like about two screens wide, maybe, and I don't know, infinite tall. I never really got that far. But there's a great quote here. If I can look at it here, it's a. Uh, I found this site called SpelunkerHD.com. It says the Spelunker hero whose colossal spirit for adventure is countered only by his minuscule threshold for pain. <laughs> <laughs> Was introduced in 1983. The the sheer number of ways to die, coupled with the very exacting controls, has pushed. Spelunker's reputation from absurd to hilarious and spurred its popularity worldwide. Apparently in Japan, the uh, NPB, the Professional Baseball League in Japan, if somebody has a, a tendency for injury, they'll play the Spelunker theme as, they, as he goes up to bat. <laughs> if you fall more than about nine inches, you die. Is that what I remember this game? Like uh, two pixels. Yeah. A pixel, maybe. I don't know. It's, just, it's yeah. hilariously bad how, how, uh, how tough this is. But I never got very far, but it's just it's one of these ones that just looks great. You know, it's all it's, you know, a bunch of colors and smoothly animated. But if you're like one pixel off when you try to jump to a, a ladder or a, one of those up and down 
conveyor belts or anything. You're just you're dead. So this is one. Of the, I really wish I was better at this. And so my for my theme for this one, I again tried to go and mess around with the size of the player or something just so it would make it easier to move you around. To, I, yeah. So yeah, I think your your overall yeah. theme, Rob, is games where it's really easy to die and you complain about it, like Minor Twenty Forty Nine er, Splunker. Well, they try, yeah, trying to make it, trying try to hack it to make them easier, make <laughs> them correct. Yes. Yeah. But still, I had fun playing it, and, I, and that's one that I want to go back and and play some more. But just so freaking hard. Hmm. But when when I was a kid, I remember these games not being that hard, and we just stick at them. Nowadays, you put money and go, nah. I'm not doing yeah. that. It's too hard. No. Yeah. Get me another yeah. one. Get Rob on the case. Get him to sort it out. <laughs> well, I think back when you when we had so few games, right? Most of us couldn't. I, I, you couldn't afford to buy games, or even if you could, you had piracy. Mm. Like at, at, at some point, each of us has the experience of having had probably just a few games, and therefore, like you have, you want to spend time with it and like get your get your money's worth, and plus you have nothing else to do with your computer, so. I think like, and I, that's something that I found o- overall, like by the time that I, st- after I started kind of getting pirated copies of games, I found that I didn't have that much fun with a lot of the games anymore because I didn't give them the time they deserved right. compared yeah. to when I only got a couple of games a year or something. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, uh, piracy in the UK, there was obviously a lot back with, with other computers as well, but the, the cassette loader on my Atari in particular was so finicky with loading. If you, it was very difficult to, to, to record a tape. You can do tape to tape on the old, you know, the ghetto blasters and stuff. But if you didn't get that tone exactly right, it would not work. And I had hardly any pirated cassette games for the Atari because it's a very difficult game. I presume the discs are a lot easier to, to copy, you know. Yeah. But on the cassette, it's very, very difficult to find them. But there was a lot of um, there was a lot of budget software, especially for the Atari in the UK. We had a range um, by a company called Mastertronic. They were like one pound ninety nine or two pound ninety nine. And I used to bring out um, older games, you know, re-release them, which was the way I sort of played a lot of games. Whereas we just pirated, so. Yes. <laughs> you Free. killed the Atari. Well done. We did. We killed it off. And then you made a podcast about it. <laughs> Dancing on the grave. <laughs> so, Kevin, I think you're about ready to finish up round four here. Yes. What's, what's your next uh, geography game? It's uh, Matchmaker World Geography Facts which was published awesome. by the little-known publisher AEC. Uh, the programmer and year of release is unknown. Um, and also, another game in a cave, I think. Joust. Uh, it's a released, fine game. A fine game. Released fine. by Atari in 1983 on cart. Allowed one or two players simultaneous. And uh, I think a faithful port of the arcade game. It's a single-screen game in which you fly around in a cave sort of situation. Uh, Another game where you're riding a bird, uh, much like Cave Lord. And uh, you fly around and uh, you try to unmount other people who are also flying around on their birds. The person who is higher when you smash into one another, uh, higher vertically on the screen, uh, wins. and, uh, And you just try to joust people off their birds. Um, Good choice. Thank you. I was just watching a YouTube video of it now, and it's maybe a little better in my mind than it is in reality. (laughs) It doesn't look like the arcade game. The colors are just not right. There's just very few colors. Um, But, you know, there's a lot lot going on at once. You could have many 
birds flying around and it's it's still it's uh it's a very good game a lot of fun especially another one of those games where if you have a someone else to play with it is uh, a whole lot of fun yeah a great yep. two-player game I was gonna say, it, it is it is a lot of fun i think it's it's not a re- it's not like a perfect arcade port but it's one that i think it's actually because it's slightly easier to play again i think i feel like it's better than the arcade game because it's not so frustrating it it's is not so demanding yeah yeah so yeah another thing i like about it is is Sometimes it, it's you can play it with someone else um, cooperatively or player versus player situation, and kind of on most levels you can just do it however you want. You know, you can try to kill each other or or work together, and I like that a lot. Yep. Did the Atari version of the pterodactyl? Yes. Ah. Uh-huh. Yes. Good. Good point. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh my god, there's one in the room. <laughs> Podcast has gone on too long, the pterodactyl comes. <laughs> Knock us up. All right, well, Jack will finish off round five here. So this is your final pick. I'm trying to guess your theme here. I'm not going here. Well, we'll see if, if five gives us any clues. Yeah, we'll see. So, I was, so Joust was also going to be one of my picks. But uh, barring that, I'm going to go with Dog Days Deluxe. This was developed by Gray Chang and published by APX, or Apex, um, in 1982. came out on disc and tape. And it's for one or two players with joysticks. Um, I actually, I never played this back in the day. I only started, I only played this very recently after, after hearing about it on Antic, in fact. Um, and, uh, but it's a fun little game where each player controls a dog running around on, scre- on, the, on a screen. So it's a single screen game, and as you play tiny fire hydrants appear and you the players have to race to get to the fire hydrant first to mark it as theirs uh, and uh nice and uh now and then a car comes hurling across the screen from the left side to the right and it kind of following a crazy random path and the car is enormous so like your the little dogs are like four or five six pixels high and the car is perhaps a third of the screen high. It's just, it's just huge. And and so like half the game is, or not a half the game, but you know, 10% of the game is dodging this giant car when it comes across the screen. And uh, you have uh, a bone you can throw. I forget, I forget what the, now that I haven't played in a few weeks, I forget actually what the bone does. Um, I've only played this for, I played this for maybe 20, 30 minutes with, with one of my daughters a few weeks ago. Um, and it is it is a lot of fun. It's sort of a it, it's very different from like the polished arcade games that are most of what we've been talking about. It's it's kind of rough in a way. I mean, this is this is a home effort. I think uh, Gray Chang did a great job with it. It's it's a lot of fun. You know, no no question there at all. But uh, there's not you can see how even though APX published this, probably a uh, a company that wanted that had more of a you know a reputation to think about would have had said, hey, we got to put more into this. And in fact. He had a later game that was published by I forget who, called oh what's that game called? Claim Jumper. Thank you, Claim Jumper, and it's, it's a very similar themed game, but much more polished and much more graphics. A lot of more things going on. But it's, it's a very the same. Yeah, it's the game. same game, really. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he said so himself in an interview I read somewhere. He's like, yeah, it's basically the same thing. I just yeah. kind of re revamped it. So anyway, Dog Days Deluxe, uh, simple, charming, fun little game. Nice. And that does not clear up your theme for me. So, did Antic um, review this guy? Uh, sorry, interview this guy recently. I remember hearing an interview with him. 
about yes. doing that. It was, yeah. I wouldn't yep. say it was recent anymore, but yes. One of, the, one of the first interviews you guys started before you really got on the big interview kick here recently. Mm, so. Cool. Me next, then, my final pick. I was just deciding which one to do, but I think it's going to be one I'm not particularly fond of. So not a favourite of mine, but it's um, critically acclaimed. Uh, Arkanoid. Mm. The arcade port of Arkanoid by Imagine for the Atari 8-bits. Um, uh, this, the good thing about it, I'll go on to the, the first good thing about it. I think this is the only version, 8-bit computers, you can play with paddles. Because Atari obviously had their own paddles when most other computers didn't have paddle controllers. I presume if this, I don't think this game ever came out on the 2600. It's a bit too modern for the 2600. I can't, I can't confirm that, but I presume true. you could play it on that. But it's basically, basically a breakout clone, isn't it? With more fancy bits added onto it. Like yeah. you got, you can pick up weapons and stuff. But the, the thing about this game, I, I was sort of playing it. It's not a bad version. I mean, it faithfully represents, you know, a, a breakout game with fancy bits bolted on. But what is it with the Atari color palette on this game? Have you guys played it? No. I'm l- looking at a video of it now. The colors are weird for sure. Awful, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I, I had the the Commodore sixty four version. It was like the Spectrum. The Spectrum was only monochrome because I mean, a lot of a lot of Spectrum and monochrome because had bad color clash, which was fine. And the colors in the arcade and on the Commodore sixty four and other versions, you know, you've got your sort of your primary rainbow colors, which is fine. That's how it should be. But this thing, if you sort of had um, in the background, there was all sort of swirly patterns in the background to make up the background, and say they were green. All the rest of the level would be green. Everything with shades of green. It was a horrible looking thing. And the ball animation is terrible on it. It just, it doesn't look like it's, it's bouncing around. It's just sort of like floating around. And it got, when you get the, there's a certain, um, uh, uh, capsule you can pick up which slows the ball down. And it goes at a snail's pace. And it's really quite a painful game to play. But I remember back in the day, waiting for this game to come out because I mean the Atari in the UK didn't have a lot of um releases the same as the Commodore 64 the Spectrum and, and in the UK the Amstrad computers and I was thinking oh we're not going to get a version of that and it came out I was like, oh wow this is brilliant and I remember sort of waiting to get it and then thinking oh, it's not that good it's all right <laughs> I mean it was it wasn't as but the worst one I remember for this is Green Beret coming out which is the same company Imagine released it and that is absolute it's a dog egg of a game it's terrible <laughs> it's really bad but yeah um this one arkanoid um, is 87 was, that's a pretty late game yeah but the thing is being 87 you think they would have worked out how to do Absolutely. things on it yeah and there's no music on it either which is a big part of arkanoid you know the sort of music and the cut scenes at the start you can imagine not putting a cut scene in because you know animation and stuff would take a lot of memory etc etc but um there's hardly any sounds in it as well, and it's really jerky and just not what the Atari was up to, really. I mean, they could hopefully someone will make a remake, a homebrew, homebrew remake of it, maybe. But yeah, it's just, some of these games were what, properly bad, and I mean, really <laughs> ones I really favourited, but some are terrible versions. But it wasn't it wasn't a terrible version, just a bit weird looking, you know. They could have sort of uh, just messed around with the colours. Rob, maybe can you just get in there and hack a few colours for me, please? Just quickly <laughs> knock that one up for us. I'll add it to the list. Thank you very much. And that's my last pick. Last pick. I can't figure out what's going on in your theme I, either. Well, oh, I almost do, but Alley Cat's throwing me. So, <laughs> I mean, I would just say I would just say it's it's ports of arcade games. But as far as I know, there was no an arca- arcade version of Alley Cat. No, there should have been, but there wasn't. So no, you are incorrect. Ping. <laughs> no, no arcade pings for Kevin. Okay, he gets one of these instead. 
<laughs> I have a full arsenal of sound effects. <laughs> so, Wade, how about you for your final pick here? All right. Uh, my last one, I was kind of in a quandary on which one I'm going to do, but I'm going to go with this one. Uh, cutthroats. Hmm. Ooh, hey, that, uh, that's an Infocom. Yes, this is a 1984 Infocom text adventure written by Michael Berlin. Uh, Of course, it's one player, and you could use the joystick all day long and make zero progress, so (laughs) keyboard. (laughs) Uh, It was released on disc, and obviously both sides are needed. Um, And the object is uh, basically get through the story. So you are a diver and a shipwreck expert on Hard Scrabble Island. And you are approached by some very cutthroaty people, or shady uh, individuals, and you are asked to locate and salvage a sunken fortune. Sounds easy enough, but you have to avoid all kinds of um, pitfalls along the way. And you have to dive into unknown waters and deal with untrusty uh, crew and obviously the shady characters that I've already mentioned. Um, the object or what happens when you win is, uh, you get millions if you succeed. So, um, spoilers. Yep. As you, uh, get through the, as you work through it, obviously you're presented with a screen of text. It tells you where you're at and that type of thing. And then you have to input what you want to do, like, uh, you know, get lamp or, you know, withdraw money or whatever type of thing like that. And then you use directions to move or navigate through the map. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I love that someone included a text adventure game and an Infocom game in particular, but Cutthroats is a really interesting choice. Why did you pick that one? Well, this is one of the only ones that I have ever finished. And the, ah. that, that's, mm-hmm. that's the first reason. The second reason is there's an interesting twist in this game in that there are two different outcomes. So the first one, depending upon what, uh, what, the uh, shady character, I think his name was uh, Red, gives you, he, he's going to give you one of two items. And depending upon what item he gives you determines which items you need to buy at the store for your dive and what uh, shipwreck that you're going to go to. So you kind of have two different routes to, that you take. So that's why. You said about withdrawing money on this game. Yeah, you have to go to the bank. Was there an ATM in there? No, you have to go to the bank. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And you have to sit and wait. There's a lot of waiting in this game, too. So uh, you can't just go to your your destination. Like somebody say, meet me at 1045. Okay, so in order, you might get there at 938. So what you have to do, you just have to sit there and wait. So you type Z to sleep, and (laughs) time goes by. Type Z again, time goes by. Type Z again, time goes by until you get there. Hmm. I have never played an Infocom game ever uh, because we didn't get discs. We didn't get many discs over here, and I never had a disc drive, so I couldn't play them. Mm. And I really liked um, text adventures. I liked uh, Level 9 games. They did stuff like Red Moon, uh, The Color of Magic, and also Adventure International. We got a few of those. I think I had a few of those when I was younger, but never an Infocom, unfortunately. The Infocoms, I hear a lot about them. They're supposed to be brilliant. Yeah, this is quite fun. One thing that I would recommend if you play any of the Infocom games is create a map mm, when you're yeah. playing. So everywhere you're at, 
write down a name of the room, and then when you go any direction from there, <laughs> write down where mm. you go because you definitely need it. But if my wife caught me making maps in front of a computer screen, she would realize I finally lost it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really I nice version. As long as you can. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a nice version of uh, for the, the iPhone, iPad, that has uh, it's an app that has all the Infocom games in it. Oh, cool. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay, you download the, uh... the game and then you just pay the $9, whatever it is, and, and then you have all the Infocom oh, games. Wow. And, yeah, and with, with that, with the exception. You get Zork one in the in that I believe, and I I played that with my son over uh, Christmas last year, and he still asks me to this day, "Can we play that that game where you type?" <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> yeah, we can. We can give it another go. Yeah, yeah. My daughter asks, does that with NetHack. She's like, "Play NetHack. Let me watch." I'm like, okay. <laughs> For Infocom, I, just, I started with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is a mistake because I was like, the, "Oh, that's the hardest yeah. game to start so with." That <laughs> soured me on text adventures. So I'll have to go back and play something. Like, yeah, unless you've read uh, it or watched the film into Well, that's the thing, because I read them all, but it's it's like totally, all the, the puzzles are totally different, so you can't really use your knowledge of the books to help with the game that much. And they're all bizarre some, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very well, bizarre. if you if you start with cutthroats, make sure you wind your watch at the very beginning. Oh, okay. Is that one of those things that will bite you at the very end if you don't <laughs> do that? Yes. Uh, hmm. You don't know what time it is. You're dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess it's up for me for my final pick, and I'm going to pick Omnitrends Universe, which is a nope. it's a sort of a it's a game in the style of like Elite, like a um, a space exploration game. It's a four disc game. It was published by the Omnitrend was the company, and Universe was the game, so it's Omnitrends Universe, uh, mm -hmm. designed by Thomas Carbon and William Leslie. I guess it was written in fourth, and so there's a, a whole big 3D graphics section that was. Separately credited to a different author, uh, but it's it's a you start off your well first you have to copy these four discs. The, the first the very first instruction in the manual is make backup copies. So what? <laughs> why for this, real friends? Yeah, why this fits in my theme? That's kind of what we did. With like four or five of us from the neighborhood got together and we bought this game. It was like 150 bucks or something. It was really expensive. Wow! So we we got it and we split it. We photocopied all the pages, gave everybody copies. And because this is, you know, it's a hundred-page manual. Looking here on Atari Mania, it comes in a binder. Yeah, it's a huge a binder. It's like oh. I was going to guess 150 pages. A lot of pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, really, yeah, yeah I wouldn't super complicated. And uh, but just you know, you start out, you get a you get a mortgage on a spaceship, and it, then you you go out in the universe. I guess the goal, which I never finished, was to find this hyperspace booster, which would allow your civilization to get back into contact with the rest of the galaxy. Uh, but you can you do that by trading by you know, piracy by whatever, but you you know, you sort of progress your ship from being you know this bare bones ship, and you can upgrade ships later, or you can change equipment, you can get better boosters, lasers, whatever, and you know progress. And it's you know it's one of these open world sort of exploration games, like the the first I really experienced. And I, yeah, so I spent a lot of time on this. It never solved it, and uh, but I was, it was just a lot of fun. I don't. Did anybody else play this or hear about it? Nope, never heard of that one. Nope. And me either. I heard of it. I wouldn't read the six-page manual to learn to play Star Raiders, so I certainly wasn't going to read that. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I'll pay 150 bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was we. I, we had these, you know, this, this group of friends were all kind of space buffs, and just the idea to pilot your own spaceship was, hmm. yeah, just the, sure. the draw for me. you know, it was, you know, it was time-consuming, and so that's part of the reasons I didn't finish it. But it's a 
it's a great early example of a you know kind of this sort of elite open world exploration system thing. So, hmm. don't know how much it would hold up today because you know of course the graphics are primitive compared to modern stuff, but well, had fun back then. Uh, I think it's uh, Kevin to finish us up here, Mr. Savitz. Well, now that we've learned so much about geography with my other choices, um, my final choice is Mapware by Harry Coons and Art Prague, uh, published by Atari Program Exchange, uh, where you can make maps in Graphics 8, and they, it draws them really, really, really slowly. <laughs> awesome. Or if you prefer, um, Preppy 2 by Russ Wetmore. Published by Adventure International. A wonderful game where it's basically one of those games where you try to walk everywhere and fill in everything. So it's it's you know, kind of the Pac-Man thing where you have to like touch everything. Um, uh, there's three or four different screens where you, you're walking your preppy around and various obstacles, silly things like giant frogs hopping at you. Very clever, cute animation on multiple screens. Great music. I, I I think I'm a sucker for like I'll, I'll accept bad gameplay if the music is good. <laughs> but um, I really it's got this this uh, this uh, uh, what's the word? Anyway, it's got a bunch of songs that 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 play and it sounds great and the game is fun and cute and it's kind of a mindless just kind of walk around, avoid the baddies, try to fill in your you know, paint paint everything um, kind of game and uh, a lot of fun. I don't know. It is a fun game. I haven't played uh, this one, but I played uh, Preppy, the first one, the other night, which is a bit yeah. of a Frogger clone. Yeah, Frogger, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. quite a good, good game. The music is really good. I like it. Yeah. I'll look out for number two. <laughs> Make a note of it. Yeah, so, so everybody's got all their picks. All right. So, uh, yeah, I can't figure out anybody's theme. So, Jack, so you have you have Star Raiders, Mule, Realm of Impossibility, Wizard of War, and Dog Days Deluxe. Right. And I was also going to have Bruce Lee and Joust, if they hadn't been taken <laughs> Hmm. Stolen. So, any guesses to the theme? Otherwise, I can just let it go here. Not gonna play so, on this one. No idea. So, my theme here was games that can be played by two or more players, and the players can decide to what degree they're going to cooperate or compete. And no, you essentially, no. you essentially have your own meta game outside of what's happening on screen. Um, and you know, some of these are clearly like, say. Like Joust is very clearly a two-player game, and you can decide: okay, am, are, are we going to fight each other or not? And what can, and of course that can you know change in mid-game, where suddenly the the friend you're playing with can say, uh, <laughs> you know what, I couldn't pass up this opportunity to kill you right now. <laughs> so I'll and then, have the to other, and then on the other hand, you have something like uh, like Star Raiders, which is you know nominally a one-player game, but if you split up joystick and keyboard among two people, then it becomes a two-player cooperative game where someone can be someone can decide you know you know you want to go faster i don't think so <laughs> i'm not gonna obey that order a mutiny um, deck so that that's what uh that's my sort of theme is these, these things nice. where you can sort of choose you know in what way you want to play together yeah that's awesome love that yeah i'm glad you stole my pick because that makes a good theme for you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you want to do my mine? Victor, so I've actually yeah, got I two have, themes. I have, I've no, got two now. A... <laughs> I had one. Now oh. I have another. Uh, the se- the second one, which wasn't planned, is uh, all my games. None of you lot have picked. Nobody got no. Nobody stole your <laughs> Nobody got any of mine because I am unique. Uh, the actual real um, theme is Alley Cat, Mister Dig, 
uh, Kangaroo, Arkanoid, and Donkey Kong Jr., not in the particular order. These are all games I actually owned or actually own at the moment. Uh, I bought Alley Cat. It was an Americana 299 game. Uh, Mr. Dig, I think I got cheap in a second-hand shop. Kangaroo, I actually owned the arcade machine. Uh, Arkanoid, I've got about seven Arkanoid PCBs. And Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr., I've owned both arcade machines. I've got Donkey Kong Jr. in my garage now, and I sold the other one recently. So I've actually owned these legitimately, unlike you lot of pirates. <laughs> Dirty, filthy Atari killers, you lot. killed it. Yeah. <laughs> Great, that's awesome. <laughs> How about Wade? See, Boulder Dash, Bruce Lee, Montezuma's Revenge, Seven Cities of Gold, Cutthroats. Ooh, hmm. apart from Cutthroats, I may have said they're all Datasoft games, but they're not, are they? No. Hmm. I think you'll have to enlighten us. They're all yes. games where you're trying to s- steal things. You guys are, you're thinking too hard. This is much simpler. These are all games from 1984. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. of course. 1984 game. Mm. And is that when did you get your machine? Uh, I got this, like early on in your Atari, or, or? no? I, I originally got the Atari about 1981, I believe, mm. or late 1980. I think I got mine in 85, I think, because it, it was on sale when I got mine. It was quite cheap. I think they were sort of going... I think the, the XE range had just come out, and they were selling off the XLs quite cheap. Mm-hmm. The, the tape recorder. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, 83 and 84 is really when the Atari got hit its stride with, like, really, really quality games. Mm. And then the market was pulled out from under it by... Pirates. So, there you go. Yes. Pirates. Dirty <laughs> Us. Pirates. Yes, we killed it. Uh... Great, I just awesome. pirated loads of Commodore 64 and Spectrum. That was my thing. <laughs> They're easy to copy. <laughs> yeah. Well, pirates so, and bad management, but well, yeah, yeah Atari yeah, definitely didn't have. Uh, yeah, they had help from inside to kill themselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, so me, yeah, my picks were Minor 2049er, Mountain King, Bacterion, Spelunker, and Omnitrans Universe. And yeah, my theme was games that I've hacked on. And so that leaves Kevin, who. Really is the winner because he took Jumpman. So <laughs> I win. Yeah, it could have ended an hour and a half ago. <laughs> My theme was uh, geography uh, edutainment games. Oh, that's right, I forgot. Yeah. All of our favorite and, and games that I really like a lot. Is that your theme? My theme was games that I really like a lot. <laughs> that's not good enough, is it? <laughs> but then again, he has Jumpman, so he wins. So. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that when I play it. <laughs> well, I have Star Raiders. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a lot of lot of great games. And some yeah, some I've never heard of and need to play, like Cave Lord. Yep. I've got Alley Cat, that's a good game. Alley Cat. That is a good great game. game. Yeah, they just did Alley yeah. Cat on the um, on on Atari Age forums, you know, they have the high score club. Oh yeah, okay. Just did Alley Cat and I got destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple like just amazingly outstanding players that, that jump. There always is, isn't there? Yeah. They shouldn't and be allowed. Did scratch your eyes out? <laughs> Kitty claws. <laughs> <laughs> I love the meow on that game as well. The, the sound effects on that are brilliant. Yeah. Really, really good. Yep. And when yep. you fall off bins and stuff, it's just got a really great sound. Awesome game. Yeah, a lot of these have really good music. Yeah, mm. Alley Cat, Mountain King, Zeppelin, Jump, Jumpman. I find it well, not difficult, I suppose, because it's, uh, it's a US and a UK thing. But you guys didn't hear of um, the programmer Rita J, who did, who I think with Microdeal. She might have been Microdeal, actually. They released a lot of games in 84. There's Mr. Dig, there's Danger Ranger, um, Pengon, 
uh, loads of different games. I think a lot of them were rip-offs, but they're really good. And I think all her games had a high score table in as well, which you didn't really see a lot mm. of in the 8-bit days, you know, in the past. But yeah, look up, um, Microdeal from about, from about 1984. Look at some of their games. They're really good, some games. Yeah, we have a Wikipedia entry, which is interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, some really quality cool. little games they were. Really good. Awesome. This is this has been great. I've had a lot of fun. I've, uh, hmm, thanks yeah. all for participating, and and I've got yeah. more for the next one as well. Yeah, we're, I've got a couple I didn't pick for for next hmm. time. So I think I'm going to try to do these like every as I wrap up a year. I'm going to try to do one of these game draft episodes. So yeah, good idea. So yeah, this will cool. be the 81 wrap up. I think there yeah, there are quite a few games that I'm surprised that nobody picked. Yeah, but that means that there's there are a lot of good ones left to pick. So yeah, yeah I've got a list here of stuff that worth mentioning. Stuff like Yump. I only just played that the other day, and it's a brilliant game. That's well, a that, new yeah, one. That that modern one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah Zorro, yeah. another game. I think it was a DataSoft game. Uh, Blue Max, uh, Drop oh, Zone, that's yeah. good. That was uh, International list. Karate. That was a good game. Gyrus. Yeah, yeah, that's great music. Yeah. Uh, Henry's House. Ever played Henry's House? Never heard of it. It was a company called English Software, so maybe you haven't. Uh, Head Over Heels from Ocean. That is an amazing game. Um, it, it was very big on the spectrum, the Commodore 64. And the Atari version was one of these things I thought, oh, they'll never bring that out. And it's a really, really good version. It equals those other versions easily. Uh, Jungle Hunt. Uh, Minor 2049. Uh, sorry, um, Bunny Bob Strikes Back. Oh, yeah, which is even harder. Uh, another one that I didn't know was on the Atari is Pathfinder. Yeah, Activision. It was yeah. an Activision game. It was big on the Commodore 64. It's a really cool game. And when I found out it came out on Atari, I was like, oh, wow, I never knew that. Another one, um, I think from a company called Bubblesoft, is Starquake. Look that one up. It's a really cool game, Starquake. Hmm. Well, we got stuff to talk about for next time. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah been a lot of fun. And yes. Yeah, it's been great fun. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, I enjoy all your podcasts, and uh, thanks for cool. participating in mine. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Thanks, no problem. Thanks I'll see you all later, guys. Pleasure. See you guys later. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. See you Bye-bye. Thanks to everybody for participating. I had a great time. And do it again. Do another one of these game drafts at uh, maybe I'll shoot for the 82 wrap-up show. But if you haven't listened to all these guys' podcasts, you definitely should. All great podcasts of interest to anybody who'd be interested in this podcast. So yeah, so thanks to Jack from the Retro Competing Roundtable. To Victor from the Ten Pence Arcade podcast, to Wade from Inverse Tatasky, and to Kevin from Antic, the Atari 8-Bit podcast. And in case you're wondering why I came up with the order that I did for everybody, I chose it was the number of characters in the podcast title and not subtitle. So uh, Antic, the Atari 8-Bit podcast, only counts as A-N-T-I-C five characters. So Kev, that's why Kevin, you were last. Thanks to you all for listening, and I will see you in episode 15 for a regular episode covering November 1981 and some game as yet to be determined. So we'll all all be surprised.